We're back with another episode of Ask Bobby and Mike. So we did this in our group, took a bunch of random questions, have some business ones, have some fun ones, and we're just going to dive into them. So we're going to, we just ran out of time last time. So we're going to pick up with the next question, which is from Trayton. He wants to know, maybe this has been discussed in another podcast, but curious to know y'all's top five artists or rappers. I see that brain plush toy on Bobby's desk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. I The brain plush thing is funny because I that's from Little Dicky or, or Dave mm-hmm. Bird. Uh, he's But he's commonly known as Little Dicky. He's just a comedian rapper. I actually I've been so, watching his show. I started watching good? his show over the weekend. Is it good? Uh, it is. It, it's funny, but it, I mean, it's not like the greatest show I've ever seen. <laughs> right. But like, I've heard it gets a little better as it goes, but. Uh, there was an episode. Something happened in like the second or maybe the second episode, and I'm not going to give it away. But then another thing happens like in like episode five that's like related to this early episode. And I about died. And I was watching this at like everybody was in bed, like 11 o'clock last night. I'm in my kitchen and I just lost it. I, it was it made me laugh so hard. So there, but it, so it's good. There, it'll make you laugh, but it's, you know, right. It was top five. Like, what's the top five? hip hop artists is that was what what the question was, right? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I would say top five. That's always tough because it changes so much for me because I just I don't know. I, <laughs> I, don't, I would say is just go on Spotify and look up the Laptop Empire's playlist. Yeah. And it's pretty much all hip hop. And that's kind of like we started that as like a, a playlist that Bobby and I like work to. And uh and you'll pretty much you'll see like there's a lot of there's a lot of repeats on there. Yeah. I have a hard time with this because I don't just I don't judge music. So I, I have a music degree. So I, when I listen to, to music, it's a, probably a little bit different than like what. Than when I listen to music. It may be because I, what I'm listening for, like I think Kendrick Lamar is, is wildly underrated as a, as like a rhythmic genius. Like the, and it, this is, these are the things like most people probably wouldn't even care to talk about, but he, he does things rhythmically that most rappers don't do he'll make it sound like it's in a different time signature when it's not right. Like there, in you know, there's specific musical terms for this, but like he does things that are very, very impressive. But then it's like, if you, if you tell somebody that just like casually listens to music, they're like, ah, Kendrick Lamar is okay. You know, but I'm like, ah, no, he's, he's a freaking rhythmic genius. Like you guys don't understand, you know? So I get, I get too wrapped up in that stuff sometimes, but I would say my top five, um, I've got some on my wall behind me. I'd say, uh, Kendrick Lamar's in there, Drake, I like Jay-Z. I don't love Jay-Z, but I, I think he's he's really good. I'm a huge um, Jay-Z fan. Yeah. Oh, he's got great music. I just this is it goes back to like the technical, like rhythmic technical side of things. I really like logic right now. And uh I like Chance the Rapper. And uh I don't know if I said five or not. But Little Dicky is not even in my top five. He's just really he's good. He and he is actually is like very talented, but he's um 
he's a little bit too corny and he doesn't put out music anymore. That was the thing is like, I, I love his music because um, it's, it's fun to listen to and it's funny and, and, and sometimes like kind of insightful or just like, you know, smart music. Uh, like, I don't clever. know. It's just clever. Yeah. Cause he's a comedian, you know, and he does some clever things, but like he doesn't put out music anymore. So, so yeah, that, I don't know. That's pretty much it. That's my yeah. top five. Um, I think I like Jay-Z, I like Drake, I like J Cole, I like Kendrick. And then I just listen to a little bit of everything. So I don't, I can't even like think off the top of my head. I like, yeah. I like a lot of like, I like a lot of older stuff. I mean, that was how I got into it. So dude, I, yeah, my music goes all over the place. I'm listening. I'm like in the queen huge right now. I don't know. I, I watched some, <laughs> yeah, the queen movie. I don't know if the, I don't know what it's called. I forgot what the, there's a movie about queen. That's like very recent um, that came out and it's so good. But then I got, I really like went down the rabbit hole of queen and like Freddie Mercury. So like insane, he was so insanely talented. It was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if like, you just got, I don't know. I just go back and forth through different music all the time. But right now for Were you ever in like into queen prior to that, or just like, like it just, really no, I, cause I used to be a, when I was younger. Um, I'm not really. And I, you know, I didn't realize how many of the, like a lot of the popular, like rock songs that you hear, I didn't realize how many of those songs were queen. They had oh, wow. so many hits over the years. Like, unbelievable amount of hits that I didn't even realize were necessarily them. And I think a lot of people probably don't if they're not super into queen, but many of the popular songs that, that you hear are, are queen you know, from that I era. That is one of the bands that I was like raised on. Like, yeah, my, see, mom, I wasn't. my mom had a huge like record collection. I just remember like, I'm a big queen fan, big Prince fan, big mm-hmm. Led Zeppelin fan. There's just like certain bands that, um, you know, I love Eric Clapton. Like there's just certain artists that I just like grew up listening to. Cause I pretty much like, I, I never was like a big radio person. I was just like listening to whatever CDs or records, you know, right. my family had. So, um, yeah. you know, we're, we're getting ready to go on a road trip. And I remember like when we would go on a road trip, like they would take, there's queen classic, which is like their Navy blue album cover. And there's queen greatest hits, their maroon one. And like, it would just be like, stick the CD in, play it the whole way through, stick the next one in, play it the whole way through. Then they'd put in like the Eagles greatest hits and they'd put in Eric Clapton unplugged. Then they put in, you know, Prince, his, all his greatest hits. Right. So I mean, I grew up on that stuff. Yeah. For me, it was more Jethro Tull and Led Zeppelin and the Beatles. Like that was like more, uh, Mm -hmm. my dad has a, a, yeah, I don't know if he still does. He has a very large vinyl collection. And so that was like, I would put the Jethro Tull Aqualung in and listen to that and stuff. Like, so yeah, I don't know. It's just, it changes a lot. But right now, for some reason, I'm on a, I'm on a queen kick. I'm into everything. Change. I'm into everything except for like mainstream country music. <laughs> country music. <laughs> I hate, I hate to say this, but country music is like the, the lowest quality music of all the, all the music in my opinion. <laughs> and it's just in, in not because it's like, it's, the same thing over and over and over again. And just from like a chord structure standpoint, it's just a very, it's very simple music. Um, mm-hmm. And so I just, I've never been able to get into it. I know it's like feel good music and I think it's very nostalgic for a lot of people and all that, but it's my least favorite music to sit down and listen to. Cause it's, I don't know. It's just not as interesting to me. I'm just not I a said bit, low I'm quality not music. That's not sure. I'm just not a fan of like uh, mainstream country. Like I, I listen to a lot of Texas country. I listen to like a lot of red dirt. I like the more bluesy stuff. Like, basically like a honk like if you go to a honky tonk like the stuff they're playing like i like that stuff <laughs> but that's you know that's where i met my wife and we used to go dancing every week and like that's so there's a lot wrapped yeah. up in that there's also that kind so, of music that tries to be like hip-hop which is just just stop not a fan not, not a fan, fan of the country at all yeah stop um, stop it with that so let's say one day when this pandemic is all over and it's safe 
will you guys open up a laptop empires HQ or an office space, like physical office space where people can hang out? I'm picturing a wall of our most famous gifts, a five and 10 K wall of fame with headshots and the top 10 leaderboard. I don't think that'll ever happen. I, so. I, mean, I don't know. I, you seem I, like you've been more into that than me, like wanting like a place to go like a physical space. Just Cause I want to get out of the house. Yeah. It, like, it totally makes sense. Yeah, I just, yeah. I just, the idea, and it's funny cause we have a friend, Alex, um, that's doing this right now where he mm-hmm. owns, you know, online businesses, but he's now doing like a media company and they rented an office space. And it looks fun to me. Like it looks cool to have like that space where everybody gets together and does their thing. But I just, the idea of having to go into the office, I just, that I hate that idea. Cause I just, I remember it, it might be different now, but I remember like the worst thing about being a band director was the drive to going to work. I just did not, I was like, I hate this drive. And it was because I didn't like the job very much. You know, it might be different if I was going, but I just, I really love being able to like wake up and like make my coffee and then just walk into the office and then walk out of the office whenever I want. Like, you know, I don't do the whole laptop empire or the laptop lifestyle thing very much. Cause I don't, you know, it's easier to work from my desktop these days. And mm-hmm. I like my office. Like I like being in here, but I just going to a physical office location would, I think that would be inconvenient. So I think it's going to be, I think if we revisit this topic in two to three years, there's a good chance that your answer will be very different. It probably will be, but I'm, I think I'm just going to try to figure out a way to, to really lock my kids out of the office. <laughs> like I just, I don't, it just depends. I, luck. <laughs> I just don't think, and also where, where I live, it's not realistic. Like uh, Robert Farrington from the college investor, he, um, he for a long time had a WeWork office, which is really cool. I went mm-hmm. and saw it when I went to San Diego, you know, it was like an Uber away for him and he would just like go and get out of the house and do that. But where I, where I live and I don't know about you, definitely where you're going to live. Like there's not a lot of WeWorks around here. Like there's not no. like some really cool, like office rental space here. So it's like, if I were to rent an office somewhere in this area, it would be in some kind of like kind of crappy retail park thing that wouldn't be very cool. For, for me, it is, it is impossible to have on like an uninterrupted work right. unless the kids are watching a movie or something. It is just not, it's not possible. I know like yesterday was super frustrating. So, and it leaves you with the option of, do you work after everyone goes to bed or do you get up super early? And I don't really particularly like the thought of either one of those. Um, right. I always enjoyed in law school being able to go to the library, the law school library and have that space where it was like, this is, I'm going to go work here and then come back. So I have that. And then, I don't mind the drive. Like to me, I, I really, especially now with kids, like I really appreciate the uninterrupted moments when I am driving, when I'm at the grocery store, when I'm doing dishes, you know, those times when I can put my headphones in and I can listen to a podcast or radio or whatever, just to be by myself. So I think like I, but so I'm saying I wouldn't mind the drive, but it would need to be close. Like, and that's going to be the issue, right? Like I would need it to be something that is, not going to take me more than a half hour round trip. Like it needs to be within 10 to 15 minutes because I'm not going to waste time on the commute, but it, it is one of those things like, man, I, I would love to go and have a place that people can't get to, you know? And so I'm hoping, you know, that the new place that it's going to be, Hey, I'm going to go upstairs and people kid by people. I mean, the munchkins, like I hope they'll leave me alone, but I don't know. We'll, we'll find out. You know, we, we talked about even having my office be a separate building on our property 
for that very reason, you know? Um, but as far as like us having a physical location, like, sorry guys, I just don't think it's going to happen. Like <laughs> who I, knows, but I mean, we just don't, we don't I just need don't. it. And our team, we aren't local. None of us are local to each other. Bobby and I aren't local to each other, but there's not a strong chance that we're going to have a physical headquarters because, because Bobby and I just don't live near each other. Like, yeah. you know, if, if, he, if he went and, and got, a house on the lake down the road from me, then maybe we could talk and we could find something, uh, yeah. which would be cool. But, um, but I just, I just don't, I don't see that, but that kind of leads well into the next question, which is are there any plans for an annual laptop empires member conference or anything like that? And I think, yeah, I, th- I think we'll do a mastermind or something or a conference or something at some point, not a big, like yeah, conference, but more of like a, a smaller, I guess mastermind is probably a better, a better word for it or like some sort of, yeah, some sort of get together. I I would like something small. And when I say small, I mean less than 30 people if if possible. Mm -hmm. Like, because I think once you start getting into conferences, you know, like I know Pat Flynn did it, Flynn con. I don't want to do a conference. Yeah. It's just, there's so many logistics. It's so hard. It's like, there's so much to do and and there's like way more event. Yeah. Like some kind of, if we go and I know like uh, John Lee Dumas, is that how you say his name? I think it is. Um, yeah, I think from Entrepreneur on Fire, like they, he did one. He's got a house in Puerto Rico where he does like, you know, he invites people. They have to pay, obviously, but they come and it's like this beautiful, you know, view from his house and like has a Rudy there and they like mastermind troubleshoot people's problems, help them grow their business. That is really appealing to me. Like going somewhere super cool and doing something like that that's more private and helping people grow their business and, and mastermind. That's fun. But I think a conference would kind of be a pain. Yeah private event you know i've got a lot of friends that do this kind of thing you know it'll probably be not the cheapest thing in the world it'll be a private event some more cool where we'll hang out for a few days and uh you know really kind of get to know people and get to you know a lot of individualized attention like each of us kind of get to build that network those relationships and that kind of stuff i think that's it's more valuable and it's uh, it's easier to put, not to say it's easy to put on, but it's still easier to put on. So I think that's the kind of thing that we'll, we'll do. There's meetups, you know, we've had a lot of meetups and a lot of people have done uh, self-run meetups and stuff. So, you know, there's always that option, but, um, but not a conference. All right. Anthony says, serious question. Can y'all discuss a few objections on a typical sales call and how do you overcome them? I'll say I, just for me, cause I, I probably do more sales calls than you do. I, I'm not, you know, I am not the person to teach you like, here's how to overcome a spousal objection or a money objection or a blah, blah, blah objection, you know, different things in sales. Like there's definitely techniques and stuff and you can go on YouTube and learn a lot about that kind of thing. But I'm not a big, like, I don't really try to force a lot of objections. So I kind of come from a place these days where if somebody doesn't want to work with me, like I want to work with people that are really excited to work with me. And if they're not, I've just seen that not end well. Right. Where like if, if you have to convince somebody into working with you, then you're kind of asking for problems down the road. So I don't try to do that. So my sales approach is very much like I interrogate them. <laughs> I ask them questions about their business. That's why we use an eight question sales script in our programs. I, I ask them a question. I listen. I take notes. Ask them another question. I listen. I take notes. And then if I can help them, then I tell them how I can help them and ask them if they're interested and that's it. You know, if somebody says like, that's too much money, then, then it's too much money. I don't, I'm like, okay, no problem. I hope you got something from this and they'll come back if it's worth it to them. And, and 
So I, I think it's just a different mentality for one. And you can have that same mentality, even if you really do need clients. And I think that when you have that mentality of like, you know, if they want to work with me, they'll work with me. Like it comes across as non-desperate and therefore you're more attractive and people want to hire you more. So I would just keep that in mind. And then when there's objections, like people are always going to say, no, it's about overcoming those. So if they have an objection, ask them a question about it, you know, ask them, you, you can ask questions like, too much money okay uh, what yeah i'm trying to think of a way to go about it but like saying i can't afford this right now or you know that's that's too much money like let's talk about the spousal objection as an example like if that happens that might be a lot of times it might be somebody that's like just trying to they don't want to say no and they're trying to get off the call but you can find that out pretty quickly because you can go and you can talk to them and say like hey you know what totally understand, right? Like I've got a spouse and like, I got to talk to her before I make any kind of investment. Like, is there any, do you think she's going to have any particular questions? Is there anything I can help with? Right. Maybe that person is reluctant to talk to their spouse. And so if you can help them with that, you know, to talk about, maybe they're like, well, I think she's going to not be sure about the investment. And I can say, well, why is it important to you? You know, and you can help, you can, you can help. Like, I think if you come from a place of helping, like you're going to be fine. And it might, you might find out that they're just like, Oh, I just, I just need to talk to her. I can't make decisions. Like let them go because that might be very legit. And then they will come back. Or it might be that they don't want to do this and you forcing the issue is not going to make it better. So I, I kind of handle objections by just kind of letting them go. But if you can ask some questions, if you can help them in any way, you can probably get over that. But that's maybe not the answer that you wanted. But I just, for me with sales, like I just, I don't find being pushy or trying to like overcome objections and all these tricks and stuff. It's just never been, been my style. And I'm just not, I don't want to fight that much for a sale and, and potentially I believe in selling. Like, I think that's the difference. Like I'm not, I don't think selling is sleazy and you guys have probably heard me rant about that on this podcast, but at the same time, I don't, I want people to come away from calls feeling like that was a great call. I got a lot out of it. This person really understood me, listened to me or helped in some way, not man, they were trying to pressure me into paying them. Yeah. And this particular person is, is in the group. So I would say, definitely go and uh, check out the Jessica Lorimer uh, sales training that we did in the file section. Yeah. I would, I would check yeah. that out um, because I think that that, I think that was a great sales training one. Uh, and I think you'll just learn a whole lot, but I kind of feel the same way. I don't do a lot of, well, I barely do any phone sales stuff. Um, especially these days, I don't jump on the phone with nearly anybody, but I just feel like if you have to force it that much to try to get somebody to, to jump on, or, you know, to pay you, it's probably not going to work out. Cause we see that all the time with students where they're like, they, they come with us with these like situations where it's very clear that the person is like super skeptical of working with them and they really don't want to. And, you know, they, they're like, how can I, you know, overcome this and, and get this person to sign on with me? And it's like, in the re- reality, you don't want them because they're going to be a really, they're going to be a pain. Mm-hmm. It's just hard when people are first starting out and they, they really want that first client they want the, the money you know and, and so it's just hard to like tell you know it's hard to ha- wrap your mind around this like this concept of this person's going to be bad to work with yeah that first opportunity is the hardest one to come by yeah and so you feel like you have to get it but you don't it will get easier over time there will be yep. more opportunities yep anthony wants to know where you weigh in on the pineapple on pizza debate I'm fine with it. Uh, you know, I don't have, it's, I don't love it. My wife loves it for whatever reason, like her favorite pizza is the ham and pineapple situation and all that kind of stuff. I'm, I, uh, 
you know, it's fine. It's I don't love it. I don't hate it. I don't think it's like terrible like some people do. So I don't know. What do you think? I could care less. Couldn't care yeah. less. I meant to say. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, it's just not. It's never been a big. It's never been a, a big uh, hot button issue for me. You know, if it's got pineapple, cool. Yeah. Yeah. I just like. Uh, I just love pizza. I like all kinds of pizza. So yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to discriminate against pineapple. It's just not my. I'm not something I'm going to do. But I do don't you? think in it in Italy they have pineapple on pizza because I know you're a big fan of Italian pizza, and I don't remember when I was there it's ever seeing pineapple on it. I, so that's something to think about. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely a, uh, like if I'm ordering from like Papa John's or something, I'm almost always going to get Canadian bacon and green bell pepper. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's like my, that's like my pizza order. But like, yeah, if I'm getting like real pizza, like I generally just do in like a margarita, just like a plain old, you know, that's yeah. I, I want a pizza oven and you know, I just, I like <sighs> it to me, it's more about the sauce and the crust than the toppings. Yeah. Like it. Yeah. Like when, if if you if you know if you're listening if you ever go to Italy like the best pizza in Italy is like the most simple pizza like mm-hmm. it, it's just like it's about the cheese it's about tomato it's about cheese, the crust crust the sauce like basil. yeah you know it that's what it is and so that's like the best pizza you're gonna have is like this very simple pizza so mm-hmm. uh, pineapple yeah you know when I went to Italy it was like the first three days like every pizza I had was like the best pizza I'd had in my life like pretty much all the way down to Rome and then like that the one pizza in Rome is like straight up the best pizza I've ever had and then when I started getting the Tuscany and that kind of stuff it was good but not that level you know but yeah. it was kind of like saying like if I hadn't had that pizza in Rome it would have been the best pizza in my life but I had found that one pizza you know we strangely, the best pizza we had the whole time we were in Italy was in Venice, which is not known for pizza. They don't do a lot of, you know, oven, brick oven stuff and, and all that. And it's, so it was kind of weird. It was like, we went there and it was like, it was incredible. And then the other pizza was really good too. But like in Rome, we actually, I don't think we went to the place that you suggested, which is where I think we messed up. Um, Probably but, because I didn't know what it was called. I just didn't yeah. get there. You were like trying to explain to me Start, like how to start with your back to the part of the pantheon and then there's a fork and you go left and then you go by and there's like a church that's like missing right. part of the wall <laughs> and you turn right and then it's right there yeah like i could so i don't yeah. blame you for not making your way there yeah it was all great i mean when if you go to italy it's like all the pizza's great but i just remember like the venice pizza was like pizza was really good and the rome pizza was like you know pretty good you know it was it was you know better than like what you get here but yeah anyway kirsty says says one for Mike, but I'm, I don't even have an office right now. So uh, it says, how often do you replenish the bottles of wine on your office desk? Are those bottles just for show? And then there's a gif of like somebody severely drunk. Um, <laughs> Bobby, you can, I mean, you can handle this. I got it too. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I have those bottles as well. You just can't see them. Like they're not in the background of my setup. They're on the front of my desk. That was, that was something that I got from, from you, Mike. Mm-hmm. Um, where it's like a celebration bottle, you know, it's like you have some big achievement in your business and you, you bust open a bottle of something really nice and you save it as like a trophy pretty much for like, you know, when you did something really cool. What we ran into with laptop empires is that we had a very good first year very quickly. And so it was like our first launch, we got a, a bottle and then our second launch, like the relaunch of the Facebook side hustle course, we got a bottle. And then when we hit, I can't remember, I think it was when we hit like half a million dollars or a million dollars in revenue, we got another bottle, but like, at some point, you know, it's like, okay, we can't get a bottle for like every launch that we do. And, uh, you know, every <laughs> milestone we have, like, you know. like last launch, we, we 
got a bottle of wine to celebrate the launch being over, but we didn't like keep it or anything. It was just, yeah, we've changed it. We used to coordinate bottles and we'd be like, Hey, did you get this one? I'm going to get this one. And we drink it sometimes like together on a call or whatever. These days when we do, especially launches, we've done so many, it's more of like, Hey, I'm getting this bottle. What are you getting? You know? And then you get like, I think if we had, if we have another big milestone, we'd probably do that again, get the same bottle and, yeah. and really kind of enjoy it together. But it's one of those things like we only we kind of reserve that for like really big milestones like hitting hitting a million dollars in net revenue was a big milestone yeah <laughs> you know? no that was so a good one. we try to you know you you don't want like we try to celebrate wins and we like to celebrate with wine but those like when you're going to keep the bottle you want it to be significant enough that like you look at it and you go i know what that's from right like my, I've got one, I've got two on the desk that are not specific to LE, but one of them is uh, the bottle from the night that Coral, that basically I told Coral she could quit her job, her teaching job. So I have, we have that bottle, it's Prisoner. And then uh, the next one, actually I don't remember what the next one was. I'd have to think, that was probably a launch or something. But then I got another one when she started her YouTube channel, like officially started and decided like, I'm going to do a YouTube channel. I'm going to start this business. And so we did one there. So I only keep, I have six bottles on the desk. I don't really plan on adding more unless we hit some kind of major milestone, but we haven't even talked about like, what's that major thing that we're going to get a celebration bottle for because you know, I just haven't talked about it, but yeah. 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 That's like one of mine is uh, the first time I did a, uh, a big consulting retainer where somebody was paying me basically $2,500 a month for a, uh, what equated to about two hours of my time per month, if that, and, and that was huge, right? That was, that was the first time I'd really charged for the value I could bring to the table as opposed to like my time. And so that was a big, big milestone for me. Um, but yeah, so that's what those are just celebrating your wins and just remembering and it's kind of how we do it. So Rahima says, how do you deal with the rejection when doing client acquisition or even rejection in general? Uh, yeah, this is, I, you know, honestly, you just kind of get used to people saying no to just mm-hmm. for various things over the course of your business. I mean, it's not it as your business grows and you do more different things, um, you're going to hear no a lot and you just kind of get used to it. And I think it, I think people take it really personally in the beginning from what we've seen. And I know that I just when I was doing client acquisition, like when I first started out, I remember being like crushed uh, the first time I heard no. And then I used to hear no a couple times and you're just kind of like, okay, well, that doesn't, it's not about me. It's just, they don't want the thing that I'm providing, you know, or, or whatever. Maybe they're not in a place where they need that kind of service for their business. So I would say you got to, you just got to rip the bandaid off of that and just mm-hmm. hear no the first couple of times. And it's like, you feel it hurts and you're like, ah, oh, this sucks. I don't like this feeling. Uh, but then that goes away and then it's like, okay, cool. I just need to hear a lot of no's and then I'm going to hear a yes. And that's going to make it all worth it. Yeah. I guess maybe I'm just not remembering to back in the early days. Like I, to me, when I would, when someone would say no to me, I wasn't like upset over the rejection of it. I was like looking at it from the standpoint of like, dang it. I could have done this better. Maybe if I would have done this, it would have been a different answer. And so I was always kind of looking through it, looking at it through that self-improvement lens. And I remember early on, I was in the fitness business and I was just like running Facebook ads, getting people on phone calls that didn't know me and like closing deals over the phone. And so I was just like, I was getting a lot of no's. Um, but, but I don't, maybe I've just been numb to it. Maybe that's just my personality, but like, to me, it's like what I just, I, I always try and think of like when you're worried about something, like what's the absolute worst that can happen, right? 
And when it comes to client acquisition, like the worst that can happen is they say no. There's there's no there is zero negative repercussions of somebody saying no to your offer. There's none. Like it's not it's all in your head, you know, compared to doing something like, you know, launching a new paid traffic funnel. What's the worst that can happen? You lose money. Right. Like that's that's different. Like that to me is a little more scary than getting rejected by an offer to a prospect. So and even that, you know, that's the business I'm in. Like you've got to you got to look at it as an investment. So that's like I look at like when we make do paid advertising, it's like we're going to spend this amount of money. Like I'm looking at it like we're throwing away this money. Right. Like that's anytime we look at like advertising, I don't look at it as like, oh, man, we're going to make all this money back and it's going to grow. Like that's the goal. But I look at it and like for me to be like, yes, let's do it. It's I got to feel comfortable enough to say if we lose all of this, I'm not going to cry over it. And so so I don't know, maybe I'm wired a little bit different or maybe it's just that I've been doing this for so long that I've just like my view has changed. I, I really couldn't tell you, but I would just say like there's no there's nothing negative that can come from a client telling, you no. Like only positive, because if they tell you, no, you're going to learn something, you're going to dodge a bullet in some cases. Like, and so you just have to look at like, what did I get? What did I gain from this? Cause you're going to gain something from every failure. And that's, I know people are scared of failure, but like you're an entrepreneur now, you better get used to it. Like failure is the name of the game. Like you, yeah. the more you can fail, the more successful you're going to be. Yeah. True. Um, Alexis says, when deciding to take the plunge and start your own business, was there anything that gave you the final push to just go for it? Uh, I feel like I just need to get out of my own way and go for it. Fear of failure is holding me back. Wow. Like talk about, we just talked about that. Like, right. Yeah. You just, you just do, you just got to go. If you want this, just like try the upside is that you are, have this million dollar plus per year business or even more and are living this incredible life and aren't, don't have financial stress or doing whatever you want, have more time with your family. And the downside is, you took a chance on yourself and it didn't work out or you find out you didn't like it or whatever. And like at the end of the day, it's a blip on the radar in your life. So yeah, just try. <laughs> yeah. I just, I remember, I, I mean, when I started my business or quit my job to start my business, that was like a, you know, big, pretty big leap of faith, but I just, I never wanted to get to the end of my life and regret that I didn't do the things I wanted to do. Like I just, that, that fear of like getting to the end and going like, wow, I wish I had done all these other things that was stronger to me than the fear of like starting a business and failing it. You know, mm-hmm. um, now if you're, you know, doing what I did where you're leaving a very steady income and, uh, and going to nothing, that's a little bit different, but I still, I, you know, I saved up money, you know, my wife, we weren't married at the time, but she had money saved up. It was really for our wedding, but it was like, just in case, like, things really hit the fan. And we also kind of put ourselves in a position by renting from our in-laws and like getting our expenses down as low as possible and all that. Like, so if you can remove a lot of the, the scariest things, or if you can minimize like the mm-hmm. super scary things where it's like, if I fail, at least I'm still going to have some kind of roof over my head, even though it's not ideal or I'm not going to like go hungry. I, I think if you can work to reduce those things and then, you know, take some kind of leap or start the business, then it's easier. But I still think at the end of the day, like, you know, if you, you don't want to, you don't want to regret not doing the things that you wanted to do in your life. So that's kind of how I approach yeah. that stuff now. Yeah. And I think there's two parts to this. Like there's starting a side hustle and then there's going full time and starting a side hustle is not scary. Like I, I, I truly believe that. And like, you might have some fear around it. You might have some apprehension around it, but like 
all you're doing is trading your Netflix time for potential earnings. Like there's, there's the, the only risk is that you are a season behind on billions like that, that I think is the truth of the matter for that, for when it comes to side hustle, going and doing a business full time, I think is very different. There's definitely risk there. You know, it's definitely scary. And so I think, you know, we always recommend like build it up on the side for as long as you can before you make that jump, you know, and like get to where you've replaced your income or done whatever. I did. What, what pushed me over the edge was I got to a point where I was earning more from my business than I was in my career. And I enjoyed my business and I didn't enjoy my career and something had to give. It was too much. Like it was too much to do both. And so that pushed me over the edge, but I let myself get to that point, <laughs> you know, before I made that decision. So I think that that's, that's like the big thing. Like if you're, you're talking about taking the plunge and starting your own business, like don't be scared. Like what, what you start it, if it doesn't work out, like if you're doing it on the side, okay. Like that might happen, you know, like, but you won't know, like you're definitely, you're 1000% going to fail if you don't try. <laughs> I mean, so, yeah. So I would just give it a shot. Uh, BJ says if Bobby was going to start a new blog, 100% based on interest mm. and entertainment. So his own interests and in entertainment, what topic would it be? Uh, I actually thought about this kind of funny cause we talked about this in the, uh, the last episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I would probably start some kind of fine watch blog, like luxury watch blog, which is kind of weird cause I don't own one. Um, but my right. first client marketing client, which I still have to this day was, is, is a jeweler. And so I started out blogging, like writing blog posts for them about Rolex watches. And I got really into it, not because I really care about like wearing a Rolex watch, but the watches are very complex uh, and there's a lot to it. And there's a lot of like history and story behind each design, whether you know, you're talking about Rolex or you're talking about Omega or, uh, you know, any of the, you know, Paddock or whatever you're talking about any of them. And so that was something I almost started a watch blog and it was going to be where the the jeweler was going to send me a watch to review. Like I would wear it for a week and review it, go through all the different features and like, you know, cause there's so many different, like the bezel and the, the band and the, you know, just everything inside the watch. Like there's a lot to it. And so I was, we were going to do that, but then we looked at like the, how much it was going to cost to like insure the shipping or insure these watches to be shipped to me back and forth. And it was going to cost like an exorbitant amount of money. And so we decided to, to table that project, but I, I really, that's what I really wanted to do. Cause I think I could do it and I could do it really well. So that would be one. I, you know, I've joked around to do about doing a wine blog. I probably wouldn't though, just because I, I don't know. <laughs> I just feel like you would have to be drinking a whole lot of wine and tasting a whole lot of wine, stuff like that. But I don't know. I, I, I think uh, probably the watch one, which is kind of weird because like I said, I don't own one. So it's funny if you say that, because I think if if we did like a for fun content channel or a niche blog or something like that, I think it would 100% be around wine. <laughs> it probably <laughs> could be. Yeah. If like and I think we had joked about like doing that, like a, a wine channel, like on Instagram or something, you know, like uh, we were like come up with clever names one day. But but uh, but I've always felt like if you and I wanted to branch out and do a something with like a physical, like a physical product business. Mm -hmm. I feel like our knowledge of email marketing, paid traffic and that kind of stuff. I think we would probably do a a watch business where you're, you're, you're designing and then somebody's creating watches and stuff. And I, I know I've bought a couple watches from like companies like that. And, you know, and like the one I bought recently, I say a couple, I mean, I literally two. Um, and the first one I didn't like, and the one I bought recently, I 
it's probably one of my favorite watches now. But I see those ads and I see those companies. I'm like, man, that would be really cool to like own a watch company. And they can be, you can really charge, a, you can charge a premium. Like it's something like when you're talking about a physical business, it needs to be something that's expensive or, or you can make a good margin on. And it'd be so much harder to start like, I don't, I don't know, like a widget, you know, a fidget spinner business, <laughs> right. a watch business because it'd be the, the, the margin. So I think it's funny you mentioned wine watches because that was what I was thinking. Yeah. I would do watches over wine. I, I have a much deeper knowledge of watches than I do wine. Wine is like one of those things like you can get so far to and watches are the same way. Any of this like, you know, high end kind of stuff, you can go really, really deep into it. But the watches just kind of make more sense to me. And I think wine is so opinion based that it would be tough. Um, whereas watches, it's like, you know, there's this physical product and here are the things that are in it. And then there's like the history and like the lore around that certain watch and the model and how it's changed over the years and things like that. But um, it's less opinionated, I think. Um, other but than like, is this design think, good or not? You know, I think a wine for regular people kind of blog, like 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 making wine less douchey, right? Could really crush it. Plus, then it would give us an excuse to to travel to go to wineries and try wine. And oh, that's a good point. And when you put it like that, yeah, you put it that way, that's kind of a, little more, <laughs> a little more appealing. Yeah. Uh, but with anything, like I think every time I start thinking about starting a new business, I just think to myself like, yeah, it'd be cool to have that, but yeah, how about I just enjoy the thing and have more time? You know, why put more work on my plate? Yeah. If we ever like, if I sell millennium money, man, and you, and we both sell laptop empire someday, like maybe, maybe I'd start another blog. So yeah, this I'll just read this. This is funny. Just uh, BJ, who just asked the last question, said, "If you guys had a favorite OG, you know, one of our original members, whose first name consists of two letters and the last <laughs> name ride, <laughs> rhymes with McNartney, uh, would you admit it?" <laughs> BJ, we love you, man. Yeah. Um, Samantha says, "What was the best and worst part, or what what has been the best and worst part of running Laptop Empire?" <laughs> Uh, man, I don't know if there's necessarily been a worst part. It's been pretty smooth. I mean, there hasn't been, I don't know. It's like we started off really well. Um, so we were like super fortunate in the first year. And then year two was also really good. Um, year three has been interesting just because of the pandemic and that did affect the business, but now it seems like we're not being affected by it. So it's just, uh, I, I would say it's been mostly good. I think that there has been some, I think earlier on, like you and I learning how to work together, although we did that really well from the beginning. We, I think we got really yeah, good as far as business partners. Problem. I mean, we've yeah. had like, we might've had like two or three like arguments about something and it usually was over something not very. Um, but it's been, it's been great. I think the only thing that's been hard about it is figuring out where our other businesses fit in the grand scheme of this business. And uh, I know like specifically for Millennial Money Man, it was, it was tough because, you know, I had, a, you know, that business and then we geared a lot of it. We like very quickly geared a lot of it to send traffic to laptop empires, which was good because we were making money with Facebook side hustle and it was great, but it really kind of like, I had this like identity crisis with the site and just what I wanted to do with the business. And that was hard because then, you know, I really, like I said, I don't know if it was this podcast in the last one, like I had to really restructure a lot of money and money, man, but I'm happy that I did it because now it's in a really good place and it's growing really quickly. Uh, and I've got like all the people in place that need to be there. So for me, that was the hardest part is just figuring out where does millennial money man fit? Like, how can I send, how can I promote 
Facebook side hustle and promote laptop empires and do all that stuff without just turning everything from millennial money man into a laptop empires like feeder, you know, and, and making it more standalone and all that kind of stuff. But I think I figured that out now. So, you know, that was, that was really the only tough part for me. So I don't know about you. Oh, I don't know that there's necessarily like a worst part, but I think a lot of, I think we, a lot of our difficulties were the same in, in how do we balance multiple businesses? And, and I think, uh, yeah. you know, for me, like for you, like laptop empires was so de- codependent on the right. money. Man. Um, but like for me, I had to go, I mean, we both really in our second year or in our first year, our personal businesses just like really took a hit. Yeah. And so it was like, but it was okay. Cause we were like laptop empires was doing so well, like it was worth it. But then we really had to take year two to kind of like build back up. And so, yeah. you know, I went from this rapidly growing agency to like, it really shrunk down mm-hmm. um, and then, you know, had to build that back up and then really kind of figure out like what I wanted it to be. And so I think a lot of what I dealt with was, trying to like find that balance and not get sucked into client work when I wanted to work on our stuff. And, and you still, you do, I deal with that all the time, but also to, you know, knowing like, like millennial money man is a brand, like that was going to, you had this brand where mine was so service-based where I've always, I'd always looked at it. And I think I struggled early on of like, man, I need to transform it or I need to create a brand or I need to do something because eventually like I, I don't know I was like I always I felt I was like I don't know how that I'll be able to do both of these things at the level I'm doing them and then I was like if I get rid of that then this is all I have and I used to worry about that I don't I don't yeah. really worry about that anymore um, and yeah. I just kind of found a nice place with the agency and I could pivot it in, into consulting or something down the road if I wanted to but but I think that was, I think we both just had this kind of like identity crisis of like trying like, okay, this amazing thing happened. And, but now what, like, how do we, how does it fit in? How do we make everything work together? And these are good problems to have. Like, that's what I'm saying. It's oh, hard sure. to say what, what's, what's the worst thing. It's just, it was, but that was difficult though. It was the difficult thing. And we still, it's like a constant, you know, trying to figure it out you know, every day, you know, we, we were getting into art, <laughs> I think like starting this year, going into the third year. And it was like, okay, we're going to make this like the main thing, right? Like this is, this is like our number <laughs> one priority, like, yeah. not our other brands. You know, we had that conversation because like, you don't know, you know, and, and we didn't, we, we've talked in other episodes about like one of the best things for us was like becoming partners and being able to talk and bounce ideas off of each other and, and have that support. But at the same time, like, you know, you had said you always wanted a business partner. I never did, you know? Right. And, and it's, and it's hard. Like, and you, and we've been fortunate and I, you gotta, you gotta be careful. I know so many people that have like had, it's gotten so nasty with their business partners. And I don't feel like we're going to have that problem. And we've been, we've been lucky about that, but it's, it's a totally different dynamic. And when you're, when you're like us, when you're first starting out and you don't really know each other, like, you know, a lot of people think that we knew each other really well because we went to high school together, but we didn't. Like we were really kind of getting to know each other and trying to understand each other on the fly. And we're both very strong willed people, but have very different personalities and tendencies and things. And so we had to learn how to balance all that. And so I think there's always this in the early days, it was like, I don't know what this other person's going to do. I don't know. How they're gonna <laughs> react. I don't know. Is yeah. this like, is if, is this their priority or is that their priority? Like we didn't, we both didn't felt know that yeah. way because you just didn't know, you know? So we just had to, 
get to know each other and have those conversations and figure it out. And it's just always, it's why we're always having questions about like, what do you want out of the business? What do you want to be doing? What do you want to be spending time doing and trying to find that commonality and understanding that there's certain things that like, sometimes there might be certain things that like I want to do that you don't, or we, how we want to spend time differently, you know? And that's, that's fine. We can have all of that. We can do both of that. And a lot of times it's, helpful because we can divide tasks and and responsibilities based on our personal preferences too so yeah and then the best thing i don't know we just talked so much about that but (laughs) i would say i i just really enjoy the people that we're working with right now that's what i was gonna say like that's it's really it's really amazing like i feel like we have the right people on the team right now and and i think it's like it's coming across it's coming through in like our emails and in the community, like the community is so hyperactive right now. It's crazy. There's so much energy in the team. There's so many energy around products, like things are moving quickly. So I think like that's big. Yeah, I agree. I think people have been the solution to what we were talking about earlier, as far as like having that identity crisis with the business and how do we, how do we do both these things and all that kind of stuff. Like I know for me on the millennial money man side, bringing in an operations manager and bringing in an editor and now bringing in writers and bringing in a consultant and like doing, putting this team in place where it's like, now I, I don't feel like I have to choose between laptop empires and millennial money, man. Like I can grow both, but I needed the people in place to be able to do that. I think the same thing with LE that we've done is we've, you know, we brought on uh, Rachel, we brought on, uh, you know, Melanie to do the community manager role. Like we've, we've had people with LE for longer than I did with millennial money, man. But I think now we have it structured. Like it took us a while to kind of figure out like, how do we want to have this structured? Like, who do we want doing what? Like, what do we want Aaron doing? Like now that we have most of a weekend in Austin, just yeah. talking about the people we wanted and what we wanted them doing and how we wanted to structure things and what we wanted to do. And we have that in place now. And that, yeah, that's it's cool. great. Yeah, it's great. It's just more fun. You know, it's like, it's, it's mm-hmm. enjoyable and it's like, it's cool to be able to now, I know for me with both businesses, like I, if I have an idea, I can just like relay it to the right person. Or if we have a, an idea with laptop empires, we can mm-hmm. relay it to the right person. And then it goes from idea to completion without us having to like jump in and do a whole lot of it um, because we slow things down. Like that's just how it gets to be when you, when you're kind of like at the top of the business, you, if you're going and doing things in the business, like you tend to kind of slow it down because you've got a lot going on. So yeah. So yeah, we're that's getting, been, I think people have been the, go ahead. It's getting to the point. I was just saying, it's getting to the point where we can have a meeting and discuss what we want to accomplish. And then it happens. And that doesn't mean that we're not working. It just means like somebody else is driving the boat instead of us. And, uh, yeah. and, and that's like, I was listening to a podcast with James Sharmco. I mentioned his book last episode and, um, he talked about how he uses Slack and how his business, he's got a team of six people, which is pretty incredible. Uh, he's got six people and runs what he does. And his business is designed where he's like, if I can speak an idea, then it can happen. And so he says, like, if I can explain what I want to do in Slack verbally, like if I can send a recordify message to Slack and, and describe what I want, that his team can then make it happen. And like, that's the goal. I think at the end of the day for you and I, because we know like we're good about seeing all of the pieces yep. and we're good at the implementing stuff, but it's slow if it's us implementing it. So we want to get to where we can go. Okay. Here's the vision and here's the, here's the strategy. Now let's go everybody. Let's go right. make this happen. 
Yep. All right. Uh, last question. When wanting to expand your knowledge and expertise, how do you decide what to learn and how do you start the learning process when there's so many resources to choose from? And then just the example is like courses, books, all that kind of stuff. If you want to learn whatever. <laughs> uh, these days I, I try not to actually like over consume information. I've always kind of been like that. I don't, I usually don't learn something or like try to go out of my way to learn something unless I, it's a necessity. Like I have to learn how to do this thing to get this result. I know some people are like way better. I don't know. I don't know. Some people are really good about just constantly like learning new things and reading about things and doing more and like trying to expand their knowledge on stuff, which I think is great. Mm -hmm. But I, I learn better through talking to people and learning from people that already have experience. So I don't seek that stuff out as much, I guess, unless I absolutely have to, that makes sense. I don't know if that answered the question or not, but yeah, I'm, I'm more like, I'm, I always say like, I'm a compulsive learner. Like law school was good for me because like law school doesn't really teach you anything about the law. <laughs> I mean, it does, but it doesn't teach you about the law. They're teaching you how to go from zero knowledge to proficient at something much more quickly than the average person. And so I'm, that was well suited to my personality. And so like, I, I always want to know at least the basics of things. Like there are certain things, like if I want to, for example, if I wanted to do it, we're running, you know, we're running, we have Google ads, like, right. I don't know how to use Google ads. I understand them enough about them conceptually for how they work. We just hired somebody to do it. So there's a lot of situations where I'll do that. But if I want to learn how something works, you know, I generally want to go learn how to do it. And I usually do that by either hiring a person to teach it to me or taking a course. That's just what I've found to be kind of like the easiest way for me. I try to cut through the noise, cut through the free content and go and get that. But I have to be careful because like, you know, I have this huge, I have this huge library of courses um, on my homepage, on my browser, and I haven't been through a lot of them. And I haven't, not all of them I've purchased. Like I've been given access through quaint, you know, friends, like, like where they have a course and they give it to me or that kind of thing. Or um, I have a client who has shared it with me, you know, with permission from the, the course owner and that kind of stuff. But you, you've got to be really careful about it. So like, I can tell you like right now, there are three, there's Dennis Yu's personal branding using Facebook ad dollar day strategy. Like he, he's got, I've got his course, which he just put, he put out on Fiverr for su super cheap, like 50 bucks or something. So I bought it cause he's brilliant. Um, and then I've gotten Kern's intent based, the third version of his intent based branding course. And then I really want to take Sonny Leonard Doozy's like high end coaching program and that's around YouTube and funnels. And so like I have to prioritize. I wanted to take Sonny's program for over a year, but I'm not, I, I've told myself like I have to be more consistent and like implementing stuff on YouTube before I'll do that. And it's not the priority right now. So like I'm actually spending time going through the Kern course because it's applicable and usable in our business right now and for my clients. So I'm not only am I going through it, but my, one of my team members is going through it. So you just, I just look at like, what is the thing I need right now and focus on that and only focus on it to the extent that like you need it to achieve a result. Like don't learn something just to learn something, learn something to achieve a result like that. That's kind of my, I wouldn't want, like if I'm a business owner, I wouldn't want to take a copywriting course just to become better at copy. Like, unless there's a purpose that I need to become better at copy. Like if I'm going to be writing a ton of copy, you know, then I might want to do that, but I would like want it to be very dialed in and specific. If not, I'd hire a copywriter because it's going to be a more worthwhile investment. So I think you just got to be careful. I th think consumption is the enemy of progress in a lot of ways as a business owner. 
So you have to have very strategic consumption. Yeah. I try not to consume things very often, to be honest with you. Um, I just, like for me, I know I, this is like a perfect example. I have questions all the time. We have a Slack channel with Larry, who's our tracking consultant, SEO guru, you know, whatever. I learned best by just asking him, like peppering him with questions like all the time. And I just ask him random questions about different things. And he has a course that I could take where and it's sometimes it'll be, I can tell he's like a little bit like, oh, man, just take my course. Uh, but for me, it's faster and easier. And I, like my attention span is so short, which is why I was not good at like high school or junior high. Like I just had bad grades <laughs> and stuff. Cause I, my attention span is like very, very, very limited. And so I just do better. Like just asking people questions. That's an, that, yeah are an expert on something. And so I'll pepper them with questions and then like, you know, just kind of go away and then pepper them with questions. And that's how I've really learned. I think that's how I learned best or learned the fastest. So yeah. I don't know. I think, and, you know, and I think that that's probably the best way to learn if you have access to that. Right. Yeah. yeah that's, and you might not have, yeah. you might not have access to that. I know. But like, for me, like I learned a lot about copywriting from writing emails and then asking questions to Chris and then Chris would come back and say, well, this, this, and this, and I would just, crushed him with questions. Right. But I was fortunate to have that access. You know, a lot of when I was building an agency, I'd ask Gary, like, Hey, how did you do this with your agency? Cause he was steps ahead of me, you know, and I paid for that access. So it just depends, right? Like you, it just depends on if you have access or not, but like with a course, a lot of times course has support. You can go through the course and you can just pepper the group of questions. You know, and that's what we always tell our students, like the people that ask the most questions tend to do the best because that, that probably is the best way to learn. But on the flip side, if you're considering buying a course or program from somebody and they have a book, I always recommend getting their book because a lot of times like a book is everything that's in that person's head for $9. Like if you think about like, you know, oh, I'd love to have, you know, pick somebody's brain over coffee or hop on a Zoom call with somebody. Well, if they have a book, the stuff that you want to know is in the book and it's cheaper. So get the book, you know, but I'm not a fan of of um just buy and consume a bunch of books or a bunch of courses you know uh like i don't think that that's the best way to go yeah agreed well that is the end of the questions this was fun that was a cool uh if you missed last episode we did the same thing so the other half of the questions were the episode before um so go check those out please subscribe to the podcast we'll do this again i think next time we'll we'll submit questions to like the email list or something because this was kind of fun but yeah we will get back to our regularly scheduled topical podcasts next week thank you guys for listening later you've been listening to the laptop empires podcast with mike yonda and bobby hoyt for more information and the resources mentioned in this episode go to laptopempires.com forward slash podcast we out